You're listening to the Grid Iron Growl Podcast from ChopTalk.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special post-early Saturday day special from the Gridiron Growl podcast here at ChompTalk.com. We are joined by lead man in charge at ChompTalk.com, Brian Fox Jr., and none other than Connor Clark, once again, staff writer and recruiting enthusiast for rivals at Gators Territories website. And Florida entering an early signing day with 26 commits and ending with a total of 21 official Florida Gators signed. It's still five verbally committed that's out there, not counting the transfer here of uh, Demarcus Bowman as well. So, Connor, a few commits out there that some fans were worried about losing here, like Tyreek Sapp and Jeremiah Williams, where Jeremiah Williams officially said last night he would be signing with the Gators today, and that did happen. And uh, some fans thinking that an Alabama flip would be coming from Tyreek Sapp, but also signs with the Gators as well. Can you elaborate a little bit for us on that one? Yeah, Jeremiah Williams, like you said, uh, two days ago had tweeted that he was going to sign early with Florida, uh, had it set a time for 11 o'clock. And then I think at around 12 or 12.15 in the evening, he tweeted out that he was no longer going to be signing early, wanted to make sure he was making the right decision. And that got a lot of Florida fans worried, and justifiably so, because they worked so hard to try to get him away from Auburn. He's from Birmingham, Alabama. Had such a good relationship with the Auburn coaching staff that you think, okay, maybe the kid's mom or the kid himself wants to stay closer to home. Then the next morning he tweets out, you know what, I'm good to go. I know where home is. I'm going to sign with Florida. Obviously, you can be a little apprehensive about that. The kid tweets it out great, but you're not going to believe it until the signature comes through. Uh, Florida was able to get that signature to come through and lock up a very important part of the recruiting class in Jeremiah Williams and a big steal from Auburn in the state of Alabama. And then, like you said, with Tyreek Sapp, a kid that nobody until about 48 hours ago expected to sign early. He's been committed for almost two years now. I think he committed Christmas Eve of 2018. So you, you're you always worried when you've got a kid that's been committed for that long and he doesn't want to sign early with your program. Um, I think more of it was just speculation because the kid's real quiet, doesn't really say a whole lot. So maybe people were just speculating that he wasn't going to sign early. But Corey at our website was able to get a hold of him and he confirmed that he was going to sign early which uh, in my opinion, he's arguably the most important prospect in this class to get signed early um, because he's been committed for so long and he's such a dynamic player in the trenches. So that was another huge, huge pickup because like you said, Alabama had been talking to him, possibly trying to get him to hold off until February so they could kind of see where their class was at, where their numbers were at, and maybe make a potential flip later in the year. Hey, Connor, I feel like I bring sexy to this podcast, so I think it's important that I bring up the quarterback position. Florida obviously took two guys, uh, two guys with very contrasting uh, styles. And uh, what do you think of what they took in Carlos Del Rio and Jalen Kitna here? Yeah, like you said, both very different style quarterbacks. They're both big kids in stature, 6'3", 6'4", respectively for Carlos and Jalen. But Carlos though he's improved a lot as a passer over the last year, is uh, a very good runner. And he's got a a solid build. I think he's about 215, 220 pounds now. Um, Can 
tuck the ball and go get something with his legs where Jalen Kitna can do that, but he's definitely a pass first guy um, follows the, I guess, mold of his father, I guess you could say pass first quarterback has a pretty deep ball, um, but they definitely differ in styles. I think both of them are going to be able to get the opportunity to compete for a backup start for a backup or starter spot at some point in the course of their Florida career. Um, it's never easy when you take two quarterbacks in the same class to ch- kind of try and space that out but they're going to get an opportunity to compete and both of them are enrolling early from what I understand. So they'll get in the playbook early as well. And taking two was pretty much a necessity because of the Jalen Jones thing that happened just last year, right? Absolutely. Yeah. As soon as uh, the season's over, Kyle Trask leaves, though he could come back for another year. Like everybody likes to say, it's not going to happen. His stock will never be higher than it is after this year. As far as going pro, you have to take two quarterbacks because that leaves you with two scholarship quarterbacks on campus at at that time. And obviously Jalen Kitna was kind of a lower rated recruit out there, but from what I've heard, and I know he started out kind of shaky, uh, throwing lots of interceptions there, but I've heard that as the year has went on, especially this year, that he's gotten a lot better. Uh, You see a lot better, more progression from the kid, probably just really young at the, at the spot, but uh, definitely in good hands with Dan Mullen. Um, I, I think that Dan Mullen could take, just about any quarterback that's not named uh, Jim McElwain and his uh, dog and uh, actually make them better. (laughs) Yeah, Clarabelle. Let's talk about uh, some of the other, uh, I guess, lower-rated recruits in this class that I think, um, and we actually talked about it last time you were on here. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Desmond Watson, man, a uh, 385-pound, probably a lot bigger from what I've heard now, uh, three-star recruit here, probably really underrated in my opinion. Uh, give us a little bit more info on that. I know Dan Mullen and his presser said he looked every bit of 385 and a lot more. So uh, I'm really curious to hear what your assessment of your Desmond Watson. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I guess you got to see it as well. Dan Mullen yeah. said, yeah, 385 might be putting it nicely. Now, he did say he hasn't seen him since, uh, since COVID, so he doesn't know. He's, Desmond's been telling him he's slimmed down a little bit. Um, I think 385, 380 is probably about where he's at, though. Another kid that, uh, from what I'm told, is going to be able to get into the program in January, get into the weight program, be able to slim down a little bit. But like you said, a very underrated kid. I think a lot of the sites dropped him a little bit because of that bad weight that he put on over the course of a year and just weren't sure if he, if it was due to laziness or if, or what, what have you. But the kid, in my opinion, I think is probably the most underrated kid in the class. He's a dynamic, dynamic nose tackle. Uh, I think one of, one of, if not the best nose, pure nose tackles in the country this year. Um, and he's just, he's so quick uh, to, to coin a phrase from my friend, uh, Blake, he's a dancing bear. And he just he's just so nimble at that size that it surprises a lot of guys. And then, of course, being as big as he is, he has the opportunity to overpower you. I'm a big, big Desmond Watson fan. Hey, just flipping over back to the offensive side real quick. Florida had a pretty good um, haul at the tight end position. Um, obviously, Gage Wilcox and Nick Elksness. Um, And then Rocco Underwood is actually a guy. I know he's, he's brought in because he's a good long snapper, but he played a lot of tight end in high school. Yeah, he definitely did. Rocco was actually first team all state tight end for his classification. I think he plays 7A in the state of Florida in 2019. So he's a great athlete. Um, obviously, he's the first ever six star long snapper. So that's real exciting. 
real exciting news when you whenever you get a six star player. Um, but yeah, the the tight end room itself, even with the absence of Kyle Pitts next year, you've got Kamori Gamble and Keon Zipper ready to step in, and then you've got two freshmen or three if you want to count Rocco coming in that are that are very very capable capable players. Now, Florida only signed so far two offensive linemen. Obviously, three of the five guys that haven't signed yet are also linemen. Is that something that Florida fans should be worried about heading into heading later into this and into the uh, February signing period? So, yeah, as we I think we discussed last time, I was not happy with the way offensive line recruiting had gone thus far uh, in the class. They did add. I don't know if we spoke after or before they added Yusef Mugerbill out of North Carolina. Um, I'm the, I, I do like him a lot. I think he's going to be very good. He was one of the ones that signed today. Uh, Javante Gardner, I think, is the highest rated of the offensive linemen on rivals. Uh, did have some academic questions. Uh, from what I've been told, those academic questions have been kind of cleared up. He should be good to go in February. He was almost good to go for today, um, but wasn't able to get everything submitted in time. So he should be good to go in February. As far as Hammond goes from the junior college ranks, it's always hard to get kids in from junior college at the University of Florida. So I, I mean, as of right now, I wouldn't expect him in the class. And then Adrian Strickland, I think, um, I think he's a kid that might be might be on the outside looking in when everything's said and done, because um, they're still recruiting Tristan Lee from Virginia, the five-star offensive tackle. Uh, he visited for the LSU game, and though Florida didn't get their way with the LSU game, uh, I was able to speak to him after the game. He had glowing remarks for both John Hevesy, what he saw on the field, and then also his mom was a big fan of the University of Florida campus and the state of Florida in general. So they're going to push for him. He commits January 2nd and then signs in February. So that's going to be a big one to watch moving forward. And then you never know what could happen as far as other offensive linemen that maybe if they don't get a guy like Lee and maybe they're not completely sold on an Adrian Strickland, that they can move over to somebody else that may not have signed in the early signing period and add them to the class. We're also getting into a period where the transfer portal is going to become more and more important, uh, especially if they actually go ahead and allow just a blanket, hey, you can transfer one time. Um, Like, actually, they just announced today in basketball. Um, So that's going to change the kind of course a little bit. And maybe Florida doesn't take a guy like an Adrian Strickland, like you were talking about, because they're like, hey, we can save this for a more established guy who could – Fit a gap in, fit in as a gap stopper real quick for us. No, absolutely, I completely agree with you on that. And you, I think, and to, and to as bad as it sounds, the lower rated recruits are not going to be able to play for those higher higher level schools because you're going to get, like you said, schools saying, "Hey, listen, I could take this kid, wait three years and develop him, or if I see a kid that pops into the transfer portal from a school like Iowa State." Auburn, what have you, they want to transfer out and they don't have to sit a year. Okay. I've got a kid that's already been in a college weight program. I've got a kid that already knows what to do in this league. And I'm going to take him, even if he only has two, maybe three years max left in his eligibility, instead of having to wait and develop a kid for three years. And Connor, I don't mean to get too far off of the recruiting, you know, Florida's class here, but Mm -hmm. that, that whole transfer portal and all this going on with the power five schools, um, that could kind of create almost a free agency frenzy uh, with the power five schools going after the talent that's at the FCS and the, uh, 
and the group of five schools. Is that something that maybe is a concern and maybe one of those catch 22s with this entire situation? Yeah, I absolutely think it is because, and then you've got the, the possibility of meddling. And I know a lot of people are not really going to talk about that, but I think it'll be a very prominent issue if that becomes the case where you've got maybe somebody at Florida, Georgia, Alabama, seeing a kid down at a school like UCF or Memphis or something like that, that's really dominating on that level. And they're like, Hey, listen, I know you haven't entered your name into the transfer portal yet, but if you come up here, you can do it on a higher level and you can have a, a better film, better film, honestly, get into the league, doing it against a better competition. So I think it's definitely something we have to watch for. Um, the NCAA is going to have to be very, very careful as far as that goes. I think they will approve that blanket one year thing, one year rule, which I, I I'm all for because I don't think the kids should be, should have to sit there and tie themselves in. If a coach can leave at any time, then I think the kids should be able to as well, but it's going to be very, very hard to manage properly. Yeah, it's definitely going to be weird, man. Uh, I've been looking at some of these transfer rules, and I'm just like, man, it really, even with early signing day and national signing day, it just doesn't stop the recruiting, even in the transfer portal with the, with this one year of eligibility. But it is kind of fair to a kid that comes to university, and maybe it's not what he thought it was going to be. And now he's having to sit out a year or get a waiver or something like that. But now they kind of eliminated that a little bit, and uh, they're not letting it be a complete free agent you know, transfer. They're only giving them one time to do it. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think that's 17, 18 year old kids to make life decisions. And, and a lot of these kids um, don't have as, as much guidance as others do. So you're, they're making decisions and it's like, okay, you get there and it's not. And a lot of times these coaches won't be completely upfront with these kids. That's, that's just the way the recruiting game is. It's, it's a lot of them are referred to as used car salesmen. Because that's a lot of what it is. They give you their speech, then you get to campus, and it's not what they said it was going to be. And you're like, well, now I'm stuck here. So I think it's it's a good it's a good move by the NCAA to approve that to approve that. But like I said, it's going to be very hard to manage, and they're going to have to be very careful with it. Right. If uh, normal adults can quit their jobs because they don't like them, kids can transfer at least for one year. <laughs> Uh, hey, Connor, I want to I want to move over to the defensive side of the ball real quick. Twelve of Florida's twenty-one signees today were on the defensive side, and I mean, just looking at it on paper, this is a pretty stacked unit on the defensive side. Uh, you got four stars and even a five-star all over the place there. Uh, five guys along the defensive line, uh, five guys in the secondary, and two guys uh, in the linebacking core that may be able to make a difference right away. What do you see when you look at the defensive side of the ball in Florida's recruiting class? Yeah, defense is definitely an area which needs to be improved going into next year. You've seen a lot of deficiencies, whether it be at safety or at linebacker. And I think these young kids that are coming in are going to get an opportunity to play early. You've got guys like uh, Donovan Steiner, Sean Davis, Brad Stewart that are all seniors that have rotated at that safety position that are going to be gone next year. Well, if they don't come back for their extra year of eligibility, like we said before. Um, and you've got young kids that are on campus now. And then a guy like Corey Collier Jr., who's going to be enrolling early as well. He gets into a college weight program. He learns a playbook. And I think he might be able to make a, make an early impact. A guy like Jeremiah Williams, like we said before, he's a big time linebacker and he's hit most of his junior film was off the edge at like a buck position that Florida likes to call it, but he's shown the ability to play inside linebacker. And even Dan Mullen said in his conference 
press conference today, we see him as an inside linebacker. He's just an athletic kid that can move, cover, and and tackle, and he's going to get an opportunity to play early, I think. Well, there definitely is one position that uh, is is pretty strong there, and that is linebacker. But I want to go to a position that uh, he just mentioned defense. I want to go to a position that's kind of kind of weak here is the uh, safety position. Uh, Dan mm-hmm. Mullen has uh, really concentrated on the safety position here with getting uh, Dakota Mitchell here, and obviously the uh, uh, Don Millen and Corey Collier. And we just discussed Corey Collier here. Uh, I, I want to get into some of the lower-ranked three-star prospects i know a lot of people see these elite prospects and, and they're going to be elite you know when they get to the university of florida but dakota mitchell what can we expect from dakota mitchell and uh what have you seen on his film that you like yeah he's a fast physical and aggressive kid he's not overly large i think he's about 5 11 185 pounds um but he's got good speed he's got good instincts and he's not afraid to hit i think he fits in probably best at the star position florida's defense uh, cause they like to blitz that guy. He's got to be physical. He's got to be able to play in the box. Um, but I've, I've actually seen him in person a couple times and he's, you see the speed on tape, uh, mostly on his offensive tape. But when you get to see him in person, his closing speed's very impressive. He brings a lot of, a lot of speed, a lot of physicality to the position. And it's a, it's a position that really hasn't performed very well. Like you said, the safety position, the star position has been lackluster this year and I think he brings a lot of a lot of the things that have been missing to that position yeah that's good because um yeah we we definitely need safeties right now especially after uh <laughs> Chauncey Gardner left man that safety position has been um and a uh, very night and day ever since he's left and uh I, I, I want to get into some of these verbal commitments here that have not signed yet uh we still have Trevante Rucker Charles Montgomery Javante Gardner Diave Hammond and Adrian Strickland, is there anybody that is verbally committed right now that we should have to worry about? Um, I th- honestly, I think uh, just about every one of them, there's a possibility they don't end up in the class just because of either academic concerns or maybe, like we said, like with Brian, the, um, they could see the opportunity to bring in a transfer and maybe they didn't, they decide to tell Adrian Strickland, hey, listen, thanks, but no thanks. Um, so there's a possibility that each and every one of those kids may not end up in the class. Uh, no, uh, there's a couple of them that have grade concerns. Um, like I said, with Gardner, I think he will end up in the class. He just didn't get his, uh, grade stuff situated before early signing day. So of the five, I think he's the most likely to sign. Um, but other than that, I think there's a possibility that any one of those guys doesn't make it to the class. Hey, also, there was a lot of traction about Bryce Langston coming to uh, Florida, obviously from Vanguard, just just south of here. Um, the, it looks like the crystal balls on twenty four seven have kind of shifted to LSU. Uh, do you have any any information on that? Is that should we not get our hopes up that Bryce Langston is going to bring his talents to Gainesville? Yeah, I think if Bryce Langston can qualify academically, then he'll be at Florida. His issue is we don't know how his grades are, and that's I think that's a big reason as to why he didn't sign today. Uh, with any school. Uh, LSU's academic standards are not quite as high as Florida's. So if if that's a situation where he can get into LSU, maybe that's why he goes to LSU instead of Florida. And we talked about Jeremiah Williams maybe playing that that linebacker position. That linebacker, the, the recruits that are already coming in as linebackers, they the two both have really, really amazing stories. Uh, obviously, you've got Daiwan Black who, who went – 
Juco and stayed in touch with the staff, stayed in touch with the fan base, really. Uh, and then you've got Chief Borders, a guy who actually got into Stanford, a guy who was pursuing a medical career and turned down Stanford to sign with Florida. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. But what are some of your thoughts about that linebacking core? Yeah, Chief Borders is an extremely smart kid, really valued education when he was going through the recruiting process, which is why I thought he would end up flipping from Florida to Stanford. It's so hard for a kid that values education that much to, to turn down a Stanford degree. But Chief, uh, and Dan Mullen said it in his press conference again today, there's only one school in the country where you can get a top 10 education and a top 10 football program, and that's the University of Florida. So I think that weighed out a little bit more than that uh, education at Stanford. He wanted to be able to compete for national championships in, co- in football as well as compete academically. And uh, he set a school record for tackles this year at his high school, Heard County. I think he had 168 tackles this year, which is unheard of at the high school level. I think they only played eight, nine or 10 games and you had a 168 tackles. You're averaging almost 17 tackles a game, which is crazy. Um, he's a big kid. I don't know. I, th- I think he's still growing. He's about six foot four, six foot five, 230 pounds. So I don't know if he outgrows the inside linebacker position because of that, but he's, he's a really smart kid. He's got great instincts. He's a great athlete. And then, like you said, Dewan Black, how, how can you not like the kid? Two years ago, signed, knew it was going to be an uphill battle to try to qualify. Didn't make it in, went to Juco. He actually, regardless of what was going to happen this year as far as football goes he was actually going to sit out this season of juco regardless focus on his grades and have three years of eligibility when he came to florida now it kind of forced his hand that way with covid and everything but he's a kid that's super athletic could play safety star linebacker and just like you said a fan favorite he's interacted with the fan base he's a great leader and he's a kid that I think is going to make an instant impact when he gets to Florida here in January. Yeah, I think Steve Spurrier gets paid to be an ambassador to the University of Florida. What what Dywan Black has done, at least through social media and even you know in interacting at the stadium and stuff, uh, I mean that's that's kind of priceless to a lot of these fans. And I mean you've seen the interactions online. It's just it's pretty impressive. It's really impressive from somebody at that age. Um, hey, I want to kind of shift gears because I know we've gotten through most of the class for uh, 2021, but 2022 is a big year. Um, and there's there's a guy who's going to commit the first week of January out of Jacksonville. Um, does landing a Marcus Burke and a Nick Elksness from Jacksonville help land Jaheim Singletary? I don't know that, that it helps that you. pipeline I, help at all. I, I do know that the Jacksonville area kids are usually pretty close. I don't know. I haven't talked to Jaheim as far as if he knows Marcus and Nick. I know Nick goes to a private school and so does Marcus. Um, and then Jaheim goes to Lee, I think. And it's a, a public school, but I know Jaheim, I think Florida is the, is the school to beat there. He's got a very, a power pack top four. I think it was Ohio state, Clemson, Georgia, and Florida going into his January 2nd announcement. I have a hard time seeing it not be Florida. Um, he's a great talent, uh, five-star talent that can lock up his side of the field. And you always want to get a kid like that into the class early, like a Sam McCall, like a Jaheim Singletary. You've got elite prospects that are already in that are getting other kids to play with them. 
And the idea of just looking two to three years from now and seeing a Jason Marshall on one side, a Jaheim Singletary on another, I mean, that's got to get your mouth watering. If Even if you're Todd Grantham, you're like, oh, I got to find a way to keep this job for a little bit. These guys are going to make <laughs> me look really good. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's got to, you got to scare opposing quarterbacks with that kind of secondary too. Uh, I think Jason Marshall's arguably the top corner in the country for this class. And then you've got Jaheim Singletary, who's a top three cornerback in his class. So if you were able to land both of those and get both those guys and get them on campus, you've got to love the possibilities of being, being able to lock down the field. As long as I don't throw cleats. <laughs> I can't tell you how many jokes I've heard about that over the last week. Uh, we were thinking about changing the site name to the throne cleat, uh, but <laughs> I've heard way too many. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hey, Connor, real quick before you go or anything. Um, Florida's number eight in the rankings, but Florida and, and Dan Mullen specifically, they seem to target weaknesses and they, they, they go after certain positions. And obviously we saw with the defense this year, do you see Dan Mullen in the recruiting that his staff does is this kind of like, all right, it's going to finish in that five to eight range. It's going to be here, but you kind of count on the, the development that Dan Mullen has proven to have as a track record. Yeah, absolutely. I think Dan Mullen doesn't, Obviously, every coach looks at recruiting rankings, even if they say they don't. But I think they value it less than most staffs do. Obviously, you see Florida doesn't have a track record of pulling a bunch of blue chip offensive linemen because John Hevesy thinks he can coach up and develop anybody. Now, that is one of the areas I would like to see Florida recruit better in offensive tackle. They seem to be very guard heavy the last couple of years as far as the recruiting classes go. So I'd like to see them add another offensive tackle in this class and prioritize offensive tackle in the 2022 class. But as far as that goes, they do a great job, like you said, of addressing the need of maybe that year or of that particular time frame. Like you said, safety this year. I think it was a little bit of linebacker and defensive back last year. And even defensive back this year, they're very heavy with that. Um, and then defensive line, so. They're doing a good job of addressing needs. They just, I think, in the trenches, especially on the offensive side, have to get better. Now, I was somebody that coming into today, I was actually excited because there were 10 guys along the line of scrimmage, both offensive and defensive sides. And like I said, we didn't get three of these guys to come in, and it's a good chance that they're not going to come in. It's a little bit disappointing, and I completely agree that it looks like we need to do some work along that offensive line. And It doesn't sound like Hevesy's the problem. All the kids kind of come out and say, hey, this guy's good. He gets you to the next level, And but for whatever reason, they're just not coming here. So, Yeah, uh, hopefully we can – I know we've done a uh, last – late push for Tristan Lee there, but hopefully maybe, you know, towards February, January, February, or something like that, we'll hear something from maybe a five-star offensive tackle, something Florida hasn't had in, gosh, what, a decade? <laughs> I mean, it's been quite it's a been while. It's been a long time. It's been quite a while for sure. Uh, Connor, before, um, I know we're running out of time here a little bit, but uh, I, I want to get into um, Taryn Arnold, Timisei Daly. I know Timisei Daly has got like 25 minutes. It doesn't look like he's coming to Florida, but uh, what about Terry and Arnold. I like Terry and Arnold a lot. I think Florida has a very good shot with him. Uh, it's going to be hard to beat out Alabama. You're going to have to, as Florida has found out, you're going to have to compete with those juggernaut, juggernauts for the top prospects. And Terry and Arnold is going to be no different. 
Nick Saban really likes him. I think Terry and Arnold is somebody that can play every position in the secondary at a high level. So it gives you a lot of position versatility. Um, I know he wants to play basketball at the next level. And I think Florida might give him the best opportunity to do so since Alabama took another kid that's going to play both football and basketball in uh, five-star cornerback Jaquincy McKinstry. I think I butchered that name, but he's a heck of a player. It's all right. I'm um, good at so, it. So Terrian is is one of those kids that's enjoying the recruiting process. He's got his top five. He's going to wait all the way until February, obviously. Um, but I think Florida has a solid shot of getting him at the next at, at February signing day. Is they're just going to have to hold off Alabama? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've seen Alabama's offensive line class, and uh, it kind of made well, me want to. Maybe want to puke there. <laughs> it's, uh, that's an offensive line class that, as a coach or as just a pure football fan, makes you salivate. It's yeah, like three five-star offensive tackles or something like that. It's it's a crazy number. Now, hopefully, Florida can uh, pull one offensive tackle uh, five-star there, Tristan Lee, here towards the end of the year. We'll see if we get a late push from that. And uh, I know Dan Mullen said in his presser that they have a couple of spots for transfers on their team as well. So we'll see what happens in the transfer portal as well. And uh, coming down the stretch here in February on National Signing Day. So, uh, Connor, man, thanks for joining us here. The Gridiron Growl Special Edition Early Signing Day. And hopefully we can have you on more and more during the season and the recruiting season and as far as this year and actually next year goes too because uh, next year it looks right now with Sam McCall there and possibly Jaheim Singletary coming to the University of Florida, if we can start out with two elites there, that's elites want to play with other elites. So it's a good start to a, a recruiting class there. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you guys having me on, and I look forward to working with you guys a little bit more in the future. And, Connor, just go ahead and let everybody know where they can find your work. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a staff writer for Rivals.com, Gators Territory. My Twitter handle is at CJ underscore Clark one and that's about it. All right, Connor. Thanks, man. Thanks once again for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys very much. Thanks, man. You want to rock out this football season? Check out the band Felicity on Spotify, Apple Music, the iTunes Store, Amazon Music, YouTube, Pandora, and other music platforms. Also check them out on Twitter at WeAreFelicity. Felicity, rocking out the state of Florida since 2014. The Gridiron Growl Podcast and Chomp Talk would like to thank the staff at the Tower Square UPS store in Gainesville for their sponsorship of ChompTalk.com. For all your printing and shipping needs, make sure to check out the UPS store in Tower Square. That was Connor Clark from Gators Territory and Rivals. Love having Connor Clark on with us, man, for the uh, actually the second time. Always a fun time talking, recruiting with Connor, and getting to know some of the highly ranked elites in this class and some of the lower-ranked three-star kids from Scouts who could shine and make an impact here at the University of Florida. But, uh, folks, uh, we have an SEC championship to play next week as the Florida Gators head down here to my hometown in Atlanta, Georgia, to face the Alabama Crimson Tide for their 10th meeting in the SEC championship. And we will be previewing that game here late tomorrow night with Brian Fox Jr., Jake Hitt, who grades the Gators for us each week, and lead writer from Chop Talk, Michael Pfeffer. So, folks, make sure you tune in here Thursday night for the preview show. And if you'd like to give your predictions on our podcast tomorrow, I'll be posting a prediction tweet and share some of your predictions tomorrow as well. And if you'd like to go vocal on our preview show tomorrow, you can also call our voicemail line at 352-888-4687, and we will share your prediction voicemail on our podcast. But until then, folks, you can follow your boy David Soderquist at 
Chop Talk underscore DS on Twitter, and you can follow the podcast here at Gridiron underscore Growl. Thank you all, folks, for joining us on this preview show from ChopTalk.com. <laughs>